Alright, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Whoa. Oh my god, I smell shenanigan! I have no idea what's going on, but I am excited! Yeah, baby, yeah! Ruby, ever dance with the devil in the bed? Inconceivable! Cowabunga. I thought this was a party! It's two Nerfskis and a podcast. With Eric and Jeff. Yes, Carol Ann, we are here. Welcome, everybody, to another fine installment of Two Nerdskis and a podcast. We're the one show where two Nerdskis come together and talk about everything pop culture and entertainment. Of course, as always, I'm one of your Nerdskis. Of course, this is Eric. Y'all should know who I am by now. Come on. Yeah, that's Jeff. All right, folks. Well, welcome back to another fine installment of Horror Month here at Two Nerdskis and a podcast. Because right now, all month long, because it's October, we're reviewing everything that is horror. And so, already we've talked about Halloween, the original Halloween, and from 1978, and then the remake, 40 years later, uh, in 2018, with the Halloween, not the remake, Soft Reboot. (laughs) Clear difference. Not the one that Rob Zombie made in 2007. But, and then last time we talked about um, Dot... Dawn of the Dead, the original 1978 film as well. So, very interesting time for horror, let's put it that way. So now, let's move from 1978, a little couple years, um, about four years later, into 1982. And, god damn it, there was was a lot of stuff that came out in 1982, let's put it that way. Um, Blade Runner came out in 1982. Uh... E.T. was huge, like the biggest movie that year. Uh, The Thing came out in 1982. Um, Yeah, I I don't remember the entire list off the top of my head, but yeah, a lot of good movies, not just horror and science fiction, but yeah, a lot of good stuff came out in 1982. And now here we are talking about one of those gems from 1982. Ironically, it is a Steven Spielberg production and possibly directed film. Here we are with... Poltergeist, directed by Toby Hooper, and oh boy, we're talking about all kinds of ghostly activity here. It's the original paranormal activity, you know, actually scripted. <laughs> Not saying that paranormal activity isn't scripted, but the point is, is Poltergeist walked so that paranormal activity could run, I guess is the best way to say it. But anyways, so Jeff... Of course, you are the mastermind behind all of Horror Month, so I must ask you, what was it about Poltergeist that intrigued you to do it for this uh, special occasion? So, Poltergeist is... Actually, yeah, it just might be the first legitimate scary movie, quote-unquote, that I ever saw. I saw for the first time when I was about maybe seven years old, and it scared hiss out of me and yet I always kept coming back to it it wasn't because usually when you're that young you would think that if something freaked you out so much you would want to just stay the hell away from it as long as possible but poltergeist had the opposite impact on me and my uh, 
it was a kind of a tradition for my family and I to rewatch it around every October. You know, I watched it several other times uh, throughout the year. Um, it was just one of those movies that was just endlessly rewatchable. It uh, never felt like a dull moment. And I actually went through a few years of not seeing it. So I was really curious to see how it would hold up after uh, after not seeing it for a little while and kind of tackling it with a more adult perspective. So before uh, I give my thoughts on how uh, how I feel about it now, Eric, what do you have any personal history with Poltergeist? So I'm going to be honest with you. This was probably the first time I ever fully saw the movie itself. Prior to that, um, I had watched maybe a couple minutes, maybe the first couple minutes of it here and there, just a in like a, I think it was a, um, I forget what kind of, it was like an English slash film course in community college, but they just wanted to give the, they just, the idea was he, my professor just wanted to show kind of like just the setting of like, oh, this is suburban America where anything, it seems nice, but the truth is some of the deepest, darkest shit, um, can happen in a suburban neighborhood and it just goes to show that nowhere is practically safe even in the safe safest confines of your home um i pretty much knew the pro the plot of um poltergeist um because i unfortunately had watched actually no not unfortunately i had seen the family guy parody of this and it's actually quite hilarious i actually really enjoy that episode where um stewie gets like stewie's gets stuck in uh you know the realm the other side and the only way out is not through a wall not through the ceiling but through meg's butt it's family guy so it's expected all those meg jokes um and uh yeah so i always knew the plot of the movie because of family guy <laughs> and like you know a lot of people have always talked about poltergeist in general so i've never so yeah this was so finally actually sitting down and actually watching its entirety so um I don't know. Obviously, my experience is different. I I don't find it scary, but I um, as an adult, me now. But I'm sure if I had seen this as a child, I would have shit and die um, if I had watched it. I, I I would have shit my pants and then wished I was dead after watching it because it, it probably I know this movie would have terrified the shit out of me as a kid. Um, but I no, I never, I never really. Uh, uh yeah i i wasn't really scared by this but i was what what i was really kind of like really fascinated with was what i really enjoyed a lot was the visual effects and uh, obviously this is early 1980s um 1982 you know we're really starting this is like post star wars this is like um in ilm's industrial light and magic's wheelhouse like seeing like early kind of like visual effects in the 80s really kind of like worked out i'm like very impressed with how it turned out i mean it's it's very much i'm very much um you know obviously the horror aspect of it is there but i'm more fascinated i'm more like blown away kind of by the technical aspect because like even because you know we watch a lot of movies today where there's a lot like everything can just be done in a computer or whatnot or like green screen and stuff but you know back in those days we you didn't really have that luxury so you just had to deal with you had to really like kind of do a lot of interesting tricks or whatnot so it was really fun to 
really watch this movie and I'm sure I'll go back and I'll take a look at some of the technical aspects of it. What really interests me more about this movie is really, really it's more about the kind of the behind the scenes of it, because that's what really kind of fascinates me. But I guess we'll go any, before I go any further. So overall, you know, you said, Jeff, this movie terrified you as a kid. Um, but how do you feel about the movie overall? So I think, um, it doesn't scare me in the exact same way as it did as a kid, you know, just cause I've, I've seen the movie several times, so I know what to expect, but uh-huh. I think it kind of impacts me on a, it scares me more on a different level. And I think, uh, you know, since I'm tackling it from an adult's perspective, I I'm seeing the character, the character's struggles in a different light. You know, when I was a kid, I was putting myself in the shoes of the kids and just trying to picture how scary it would be to, you know, be sucked into that other dimension or being basically eaten by a tree or getting attacked by that fucking clown. Uh, We'll get to that fucking clown at some point. Um, (laughs) And and so, um, you know, your imagination runs wild with how scary that would be, but coming it coming at it from an older perspective i'm more or less putting myself in the shoes of the parents and the movie i think has gotten better with age especially you know uh growing up alongside it because i'm able to look at it from a different perspective and looking at it from the eyes of the parents i think it's even scarier in a way like not the traditional jump scare start like uh startling all that shit just right like if you were a parent and you were desperately trying to get your kid back from something not of this world and just the the lengths and the lengths that they're willing to go through and it um it i consider that pretty pretty scary uh you know i don't i don't have kids myself but um you know i i did watch i actually uh i rewatched it with uh preparing for this i watched it with my mom actually and it was interesting hearing her perspective uh you know because obviously you know she she's my mom and so she's so I'm sure she was picturing if, uh, you know, especially when we were younger, you know, what would it be like if one of her kids went through something like that? And so I think uh, it's one of those unique films that can leave, uh, depending on what age you are when you see it, it, uh, it can leave it can leave a very different impression on you. And I think that's just that's good writing on the characters. And I think just, uh, yeah, honestly, not, not too much else to say on that front, but yeah, I will say that overall, I think the, uh, this is definitely one of my favorite movies, uh, definitely in my top 50 and it's always stuck with me. And I'm, I'm glad that coming back to it, after uh, after not seeing it for a while, that 
it still holds up very well. And even after seeing it for, I don't know, like the 20th time, it can, it can still surprise me in ways that I never anticipated. So I fucking love this movie and I'm excited to go more in depth on it. Well, I mean, I pretty much agree with you on the aspect of like, yeah, I can, I can definitely see how this would definitely be like a horror moment for a parent because like they're defenseless. They have absolutely no idea how they're going to get their child back, but they're going to get their child back any way possible. But, um, I know for a fact, my mom does not like the horror genre. I'm sorry, mom, but like, I know you wouldn't, I know she would not sit down and watch this. Like she's, <laughs> I'm sorry. She don't, she'd be like, Hey mom, you want to watch? Pol-? No. <laughs> yeah. She's not, she's not a big fan of horror. That's, that's unfortunate. I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's not really her wheelhouse. It's not her thing, but eh, you take what you can get, but okay. So in terms of in-depthness, so, um, obviously, so the idea is that Steven Spielberg, um, I guess the idea is they actually kind of, I guess he wanted to originally do, um, a sequel to, from what I understand, it was a sequel to, um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, he couldn't make it work, and so um, he just, I think he got to work with um, Toby Hooper. You know, he was impressed with Toby Hooper because Toby Hooper worked on, of course, one of the greatest slasher movies ever made, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, And that came out in 1974. We may or may not be talking about that. Just keep an eye on that. Uh, But anyways, anyways, the idea is that... um, he he wanted to do something with Toby Hooper, and uh, he he couldn't make the movie. I mean, he produced it and he wrote the movie, but uh, which is actually, from what I understand, this is actually the one time where Steven Spielberg gets a writing credit for the movie, um, besides producing. But he's not directing it because at the time he was preparing for ET, so he couldn't really direct it. So. Um, because of how he was impressed with his work on, um, Texas Chainsaw, um, Spielberg hired Toby Hooper to direct the movie. And, uh, that's where the real controversy begins because there's a lot of conflicting stories and whatnot about how apparently Toby Hooper was going through a lot of like stuff at the time. Apparently he was going through a drug problem or whatnot. And like he, didn't really show up on set from what I understand that sort of stuff. And so there's a lot of conflicting ideals in the sense of like, well, let's think about this. It's a horror film. Um, I mean, Steven Spielberg definitely has done stuff in his movies where there are definitely some horror elements. I mean, obviously look at Jurassic park, you look at jaws. I mean, freaking Indiana Jones and the temple of Dune has some pretty freaking dark moments, especially when uh, you get your heart ripped out of your fucking chest by a cult. Um, so that, that will scar you for life. Um, but, and also of course, Raiders of the Lost Ark melting faces, everybody. Uh, so, <laughs> so then, um, of course, Toby Hooper known for all known for just doing horror in general. So there's no, who knows, but, um, yeah, the argument is that Steven Spielberg was the true director for the movie. And there's been a lot of debate about it for many years. Um, I think it was recently revealed once and for all that it was Spielberg who directed it. 
Um, but I don't know. I I don't honestly. I'm not sure if I fully believe that because you know, I who knows what the story is. And I'm about to get. And I actually was about to ask you, Jeff. Yeah. So what I, do you think? I think uh, in terms of that, I don't really believe it. Do I think that Spielberg was a hands-on producer? Yeah, absolutely. But I believe when Poltergeist was being filmed, he was you know, balls deep into doing E.T. I mean, like, obviously he can Spielberg's been known for uh, working on simultaneous projects, you know, doing post-production of Jurassic Park while uh, while filming Schindler's List. I uh, can't imagine what the fucking emotion, emotional state is. Now, that's true multitasking, that. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but I think even Spielberg himself has has tried to lay the record straight, saying that you know, yeah, like I, you know, my company produced it, but this is Toby Hooper's movie. And I can definitely see where, because uh, at least seeing some, not all, but a decent amount of Toby Hooper's work, it doesn't necessarily feel like a Toby Hooper movie, but it has the shock value that some of his movies are very well at presenting. Uh, but it definitely has... It has that Spielberg vibe to it, you know, the the grandiose scale, um, scope of everything, the way uh, the way the family plays off each other, uh, the uh, the the kid acting feels like it was plucked out of E.T. It's uh, so there's definitely Spielberg's fingerprints on like all throughout the movie. But in terms of straight up saying that Steven Spielberg just directed this movie and Toby Hooper was just kind of there, I think is pretty pretty disrespectful to Toby Hooper because, you know, the guy, you know, created one of the most iconic horror films of all time and, you know, was looking for his big break. And because of what happened, because of, you know, this rumor being up, because I believe this rumor's been around since the movie came out. And once that circulated around the press it actually kind of fucked with Toby Hooper's career going forward. You know, it's like Poltergeist was a very big hit and under the Spielberg umbrella, but people kept assuming that, oh, well, you didn't actually direct that. And unfortunately, during the last uh, decade or so of of his career, uh, he was kind of stuck doing low-budget schlock, which is a shame I think because I think uh, Toby Hooper was uh, was an incredibly talented filmmaker and uh, you know, he definitely earned his place in film history, but I just wish that, you know, he could take full credit on, you know, from the directing perspective uh, for Poltergeist so that that could have amplified his chances of, moving on to other projects because, you know, God knows what else he, he could have done, you know, Wes, uh, you know, Wes Craven, you know, known for nightmare on Elm street and scream, you know, all these slasher movies also directed a really, a really tight white knuckle thriller called red eye. You know, there's no, there's no slasher in that movie. And it was something different for Wes Craven because he earned that flexibility. And actually that, that movie was produced by, uh, or was released under DreamWorks. 
Steven hmm. Spielberg's company. <laughs> and yeah, so that's uh that's my little rants on the on the situation. Um yeah, I think I think it's unfortunate. And I mean obviously I, I wasn't there, so I'm not gonna act like I'm the arbiter of truth on on this uh but I do uh, just based off those involved who you know have gone on the record and saying that it's bullshit. I'm more or less willing to take their word for it a little more. Well, I mean, I do, I do. I mean, to be fair, I haven't seen, I haven't really watched anything from Toby Hooper, so I can't really say i know what his style looks like or whatnot i mean obviously i know spielberg's style or like um kind of like yeah i know his style when i really see i mean like when you think about this movie takes place in like a nice suburban area in california um southern california specifically it's actually in simi valley um the house by the way is actually real you can actually visit it um don't bother the residents though um i I, I I see that there's a lot of obviously there's definitely um it's it's the even though it's the 80s like there's a lot of like references to Spielberg slash Lucas related stuff obviously the younger son um the younger son uh, Robbie has a a Yoda figure an R two D two and it looks like a C three PO figure and a poster of the classic Star of original Star Wars on there. Um, so there's definitely a little bit of a touch of Lucas in there as well. Obviously, of course, this is ILM also working on it as well. So, I, love, I mean, I, I love that he throws a fucking uh, Chewbacca shirt. At the, at the That's cloud. right. He does. I forgot. So, I mean, like there are definitely the classic tropes of a Spielberg film in there. But I guess in terms of horror, when you say that he's really known for his shock value, Toby Hooper, I mean, I can definitely see what you mean. I mean, obviously, when um, when Diane is trying to get get to the kid's room and like it's blocked off by it's suddenly blocked off by a ghostly image uh sounded by the lion from mgm i'm like oh shit i want to know i i want to know how they uh how they did that effect i'm sure there's i'm sure there's plenty of like behind the scenes because yeah that that. uh like a a a couple of times the effects are can, can look a little wonky but i'd say 80 85 percent of the time the effects Mm -hmm. are damn near flawless well i mean you have to remember again this is like the early 80s i mean obviously star wars had happened about five years earlier um in 77 so i mean this that's you know the technology again it's it's rough it's early but you know they're getting really good at it like they're getting better i mean obviously the uh, optical effects when they first when like the parapsychologists and her team come in and they open the door and like, there's all those flying items around her. Like, yeah, um, I can definitely tell that's not actually flying around on a wire. That's been what rotoscoped or whatnot. And, uh, okay. Maybe not rotoscope, but like, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely not actually on screen, like in frame. So there's definitely, there's definitely some early stuff in there that doesn't hold up. But like when, when like it does play off it well it plays off well so i mean again the technology's there it's on screen yes 
it's early 80s but at, even for early 80s this is pretty freaking good so i mean like these are effects that are going to stand the test of time even if they are a little bit visually a little off but we can definitely forgive that because again this well, I mean, is ilm fact, well, i mean the fact that this movie turns 40 next year kind of crazy it, isn't it to think and about it still that, looks huh? as good as it does like i i think that's that's a real that's a testament to how the film is hold up in real and yeah in real life so yeah no i definitely agree on that um maybe do you know what really surprised me the most actually let me finish my sentence asshole <laughs> sorry see what the fuck i gotta do with everyone yeah <clears throat> this motherfucker love you too go ahead I don't know what's going on right now. Anyway, uh, I lost my train of thought. God damn it. Nice. Sorry. Um, well, I was going to say really, um, what I was going to say is, do you know what really surprised me the most? Who scored this? Jerry motherfucking Goldsmith. So I have a question then in regards to this. Um, so obviously, you know, the gold standard for a lot of um, film composers is John Williams, but I think in terms of like, in terms of like film composers of all time, I think Jerry is probably the second best. I don't know how you feel about that, but oh, I, you no, know, I mean, I mean, I don't think that there's really a way to, to define the greatest film composer. Like you can, you can definitely, you know, plead your case on, you know, some of the, uh, you know, some of the heavy hitters, but, you know, it all depends on your what your style of music is. And with uh, I mean, I would say Jerry Goldsmith is probably in my in my top five for sure. Uh, the man has created countless iconic fucking scores. Uh, I mean, yeah, the uh, the original Planet of the Apes score like that's that's one of my favorite scores of all time. Oh, really? He did the original movie. He did. And, uh, and on the uh, there's a documentary, I think it's on YouTube. Definitely check it out. Uh, Behind the Planet of the Apes covers the making of all five movies and even the live action TV show from the 70s a little bit. Uh, yeah, they go into detail about how fucking crazy and experimental Goldsmith got with when it came to uh, when it came to some of the tracks and. I wish I could remember specific examples right now, but go watch the documentary. It's uh, it it uh, it does a great job at covering uh, covering Jerry Goldsmith's uh, musical approach right there. But um, yeah, yeah, when it does come to composers, though, John Williams is definitely my favorite. But lately. Bear McCreary's been uh, been climbing those ranks, man. Pretty much everything that guy produces has, has been fucking gold. Yeah, Jer uh, Bear McCreary actually. Yeah, Bear McCreary has done a lot of pretty good solid scores. I mean, he kind of he gives you that orchestral feel with a, um, but definitely with a bit of a blockbuster oomph to it. I mean, like the man did score about um, all seasons of Agents of Shield, if I'm not mistaken. He did a show on NBC that I liked that was unfortunately short-lived called The Cape, which is pretty cool. He also did uh, the Human Target TV series. Um, obviously, if you've been 
He did. I think he uh, also did Battlestar Galactica, if I'm not mistaken, right? He he did, and he also did the criminally underrated Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles. That's right, he did do that one. And um, the angry video game nerd movie. I heard, I, yeah, that's right, he did thought, do that, which I always thought was kind of cool. Uh, that's right, he did yeah. do that. I forgot about that. And I I will say, his score for Godzilla King of the Monsters is probably one of my favorite scores of all time. Like that music gets me fucking amped. It was ah oh, beautiful. Um, God damn, we went off on a tangent right there. Well, no, uh, it's funny. Well, no, yeah, sorry, but we're still talking about composers. But I wanted to bring it back to Jerry Goldsmith a little bit. One last final trivia about Jerry Goldsmith I wanted to bring up. But did you know that he was the original choice for the original series for Star Trek? Damn. I did not know that. So I mean, he, he was uh, unavailable at the time. Um, yeah, because he uh, he composed uh, the motion picture, right? So he did the motion picture, and his theme for the motion picture ended up becoming the main theme for Star Trek: The Next Generation. Because that just yeah. reminds me in bloopers, uh, like um, oh god, what's it? Yeah, in bloopers, um, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan, oh god, what the fuck? <laughs> Jonathan, oh god, god damn it, fucking Riker. <laughs> Jonathan Frakes. Yes, thank you. Why the hell did I forget his last name? I, I love Star know. Trek: The Next Generation, but anyways, like Jonathan Frakes would often like in bloopers, he'd be like, um, "All right, the scene's over." Da 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 da. da. <laughs> That's awesome, actually. But anyway, so going back to so since we are talking about Jerry School, Jerry Goldsmith, um, his themes for Poltergeist. So like the music he does for this is like obviously it's got that it it has that like kind of flair of a John Williams score especially for the suburban area cuz like it's like the you know it's establishing the neighborhood kind of like the establishes the neighborhood in like ET or whatnot so it's similar but then he but then he's like amps up the horror aspect of the elements like the music really like amps up and really like really goes for it when um two examples really strike my mind so the first kidnap attempt are, yeah, the first kidnapping, um, which is like, first of all, that visual image of poor Robbie getting taken by that tree, that evil looking fucking tree. I mean, just uh, just building up to the tree. Like the way the way that they they film that tree, it they do such a good job at making it look ominous from from the start and mm-hmm. up. Uh, or, or sorry, were you finishing a point? Well, no, I was just, well, yeah, I was just building up to it, but then like, obviously the score really ramps up when, um, well, it really kind of like builds up the tension and terror when, uh, uh, God, what was her name? Uh, Tangina is really building up on the beast. Like it is enough. It's speaking to, to her. It's another child. Now let's yeah, go save I, your daughter. Oh, I, I love that whole scene. Um, but yeah, so before uh, you know, go a little further into you know plot plot details and and all that shit. I really want to talk about the acting. Yeah, of course. So uh, I would say that the real star of this movie is Joe Beth Williams. She. I thought you were about to say Heather O'Rourke, but that's a really good one too. I I would say that uh, Joe Beth carries this movie on her fucking shoulders, man. Like she, uh, you know. Obviously, you have Craig T. Nelson, who, by the way, is one of the funniest motherfuckers to ever live. 
uh, he you know like they're they're both uh you know kind of the 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 core of the movie because we were essentially following them throughout this whole ordeal and and yeah like like you could say that Carol Ann is the is could technically be considered the the lead but I think just given her limited screen time I would I would personally I would personally I disagree with that but because we see uh, Diane go through such a wide range of various emotions like we see her we see her start as you know you know just this this loving wife uh you know caring mother you know happy happy family happy life and and then when her when her little girl is taken from her you know we just we see that demeanor just completely shift and we see the desperation mm-hmm. that uh that that she portrays when uh you know when she's scared for her daughter she's she's so genuine in in her cries and you just really believe that this is a person that would go to the ends of the earth quite literally to get her to get her child back and the the heart of the movie i would say is is this is the family as a whole and when you have uh and i, I and i feel like uh Joe Beth specifically is uh, is really who kind of carries this uh, carries a lot of this movie, and yeah, I don't know. I I feel like she never got the proper credit because I, you know, uh, rewatching this movie, I I just forgot how fucking good she was. And yeah, she, I mean, I definitely. Sorry, she, were and, you saying something? Was, My bad. And she was really hot back then. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, actually, going off of the family element, I was definitely getting that the entire time I was watching this because, like, this is really there's a real strong sense of family. Like, you know, like when they're whispering after like a really fucked up encounter uh, that they all have, like, not just like the that family and the team of uh, parapsychologists have, like, they're whispering and like she gives she talks to. You know, she's calming Robbie down and whatnot and just telling him, like, okay, why don't you go get some shut-eye, okay? Like, yeah, she's a very caring mother, very much, very much the kind of woman and mother who's willing to do anything to make sure that her children are safe and well-kept and whatnot. I mean, Craig T. Nelson, I mean, like, you don't really get a lot of, you know, he, he does his part. He's not... He's not like I definitely would agree with you on the on that aspect. Yeah, really, yeah, you are right. Joe Beth is really the main star in this, but like I would say, like the whole family as a whole, like the whole at least the Freeling family as a whole. Obviously, they are the main stars because uh, I I like I mean like I try to I try to think in that aspect. Like no one member of the family's weak. Maybe except maybe except uh, Dana, but she's not really like she's not really a part of this. It's really. It's really like it's Craig T. No, I mean it's it's Diane, Steve, Robbie, and Carol Ann. You just kind of remember. Oh yeah, Dana's there. She doesn't really do any. She's not really that important to the plot. Um, she's just like kind of just along for the ride. 
Um, but yeah, you are right. Joe Beth really does carry this. She is really the one who's really doing the best. Like she, I mean, like obviously she goes to, she's the one who like when the beast returns to take the family, I mean, or take the kids again, she's like, no, you are not getting my kids. Like she's doing everything in her power and she successfully gets her kids out of there and, uh, they draw and like she and Steven get the kids out, um, just in time before, you know, spoilers, the house implodes on itself. But yeah, you are right. Um, in that regards that, yeah, she really is. But you know, I really don't like to think that, um, she is, I didn't, I, I, okay, maybe not. I don't think, uh, I mean, like I do agree with it, but I, I really like to think that the family as a whole is really the main star of it. Cause like they all offer, like I said, they all offer something to it, but, um, maybe Dana, not so much. Cause she's just like, uh, like, well, I'm over hanging out with friends and then like, I'm going to come back. I'm going to go, uh, hang out with some, uh, friends and then like, I come back and holy shit, my house is imploding. God, <laughs> that's yeah, that, shit. Yeah, she uh, the, the she she arrives home and just all that fucked up shits going on. And that okay, yeah, we're we're jumping way ahead, but I, I I always wondered like, what the fuck are her friends doing? I mean, they're probably. I mean, like, <laughs> remember, like, like we're they're, gonna they're, be staying they're, at. They're just kind of sitting there, and they're just kind of like, oh. <laughs> that's weird all right well call me later <laughs> well no what's funny is like so like bef- like before the climax of the movie like you know they're packaging up and uh and she's and they're like we're gonna be staying at the holiday inn over by the freeway oh yeah i know the ones like how do you know about the holiday inn bye mom <laughs> <laughs> i totally anyway, so- <laughs> yeah no okay yeah so i i completely missed that joke every fucking time I've seen this movie and yeah, on my most recent rewatch, I, I noticed that and I just laughed out fucking loud. <laughs> There's some uh, adult humor right there, folks. Wink, wink. <laughs> but no, so going, so jumping back. So let's, so let's really kind of take it back. So like, so basically how it all starts, of course, it's just, um, you know, you get the random, random poltergeist stuff. Like, by the way, I'm going to get the I'm pretty sure I'm going to get the freaking Star Spangled Banner stuck in my fucking head for a while just because like just because of the way the movie opens it's like so apparently this is how you also know that this is an American movie or a US movie because it opens on the Star Spangled Banner the America. God damn it. Okay, you maybe just jump scared or just now. God damn it. <laughs> um but but yeah, it, it starts playing on that and uh, it goes static, of course. And uh, Carol Ann is drawn to the TV, if you will. And apparently she's talking to some someone by someone in the TV. And then uh, I think the bird, I think uh, the ghosts caused the bird to die, which is unfortunate. Um, and then, you know, the the random stuff happens. Objects move around or whatnot. Uh, there's a really nice edit where like uh, it pans over to like the chairs are pushed back into the table, and now all of a sudden they're all stacked up on the table. I wonder, I wonder if that's just a quick cut edit they did, and it's seamless, or did they really just get a whole bunch of people like real quick, like off frame, just like quickly stack it, stack it, stack it, stack it. Um, Honestly, I, I I was kind of wondering the same thing because I looked at that shot really closely, and I don't 
notice any cuts. Yeah, me neither. So, so I... however the fuck they did that, props. Especially like if uh like if they did like uh like the like how you said like as soon as she uh, as soon as the table's out of frame, just a bunch of people just like stacking it mm-hmm. really fast. Well, I okay, mean, here's how I noticed that they probably did it. So if you look right before they pan back to the table, you can kind of, you know how there's like kind of like a little tree or whatnot or plant that's kind of like in kind of like in the corner of the frame. I uh-huh. see the I see it move a bit. So maybe that's like kind of like a crew member just like moving accidentally moving the tree a bit just to like uh, get out so that they're not in frame or whatnot. I need to look out for that next time. I'll, uh, I'll, yeah, um, I'll, maybe I'll send you a clip, or, or I'll find a clip. I'll try and find a clip of it or whatnot. But or maybe I'll, I'll watch the movie on HBO Max and I'll uh, give you. Hey, go to this timestamp right here. Um, but yeah, so, and then of course it starts getting real freaky. I mean, like one of the big ominous things um, is that fucking tree. Um, that tree is really fucking tree. is really fucking scary. Yes, it is. And uh, it fucking uh, fucking takes Robbie and uh, starts to swallow him whole. And I was uh, everyone... seven when I saw this. It was <laughs> were you really traumatizing? Yeah, I imagine you were at that point. And then, like that, pretty much serves as a distraction because successfully um, they're able to suck uh, Carol Ann in there. I mean, into the closet or the portal, if you will. Um, the ghosts or yeah the poltergeist and uh by the way so apparently um you know i I guess from what i read trivia wise like heather o'rourke like she was pretty game or whatnot throughout the movie but apparently the one time where she was scared was when she was hanging from the bed right like she's gripping the bed by the gripping the bed right and she's um like kind of just being kind of forcefully kind of pulled in or whatnot. So apparently from what I understand, just reading some of the IMDb trivia that she was heavily terrified. And then Spielberg kind of just like, just kind of just stopped, went over to her, hugged her and told her, it's okay. We won't do that again. So, um, I mean, yeah. that would make sense because during that scene, she looks fucking petrified. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I often wonder if some of that, I often wonder if if that's actually Heather O'Rourke or maybe just like kind of a small little dummy kind of hanging on. Because like, I don't know if you really should be practicing that kind of rig on at least a small child like that, because that's really dangerous. Especially that's, if you're that size and that age. That's the 80s. Kids were indestructible. <laughs> it's not like, dude, it's not like the freaking action stars of the 80s where it'd be like, tough men, Arnold, Sly. <laughs> What, why, did, why does Sly sound like Arnold? <laughs> Never mind. Um, anyways, but yeah, no, there's some crazy stuff in there. And then obviously they get the, uh, Sarah, they get the parapsychologist in there. Um, and then at one point, um, you see this, you see, you see like, um, the guy, you see one of the guys, um, see the steak move as he's grabbing a bite to eat. And uh, that's an interesting effect, how they do, how they pull the steak over um, to make it look like it's crawling. And then like they bust it and then they kind of like burst it through on the inside. And then like what really kind of like freaks me out is the peeling of the face um, when he's hallucinating. And you're like, 
Jesus. I mean, I wouldn't describe it as peeling. I would say the tore his fucking face off. <laughs> yes. Again, yeah. I was seven. <laughs> yeah, I can tell this movie traumatized you as a as a as a kid. Yeah. Um, but what's yeah, really I, interesting, I, I think I think this is why I I became so like violence has no little to no effect on me in movies. And that's because this movie desensitized you. <laughs> this movie made me a man. Okay. Moving on. Um, there's a real cool effect I liked. So um, it's, this is like one of the early optical effects, if you will. But um, this is like pre CGI. But so when the camera captures, um, when they first see the, like the spirits walking down the stairs or like, you know, floating down the stairs, like seeing the balls of light and stuff like reminds me a lot of Ghostbusters actually. And like Ghostbusters only came out like two years later. I'm like, huh, I like that effect. That's a really cool effect that they did there. So like, again, like props to ILM because obviously they know what they're doing that like they were the premier. They still are one of the premier like visual effects companies for films out there. So, I mean, Haha, you're mine now, bitch. <laughs> Because Disney gets everything, um, <laughs> but no, that but that but it's true though. Like the uh, the effect. I mean, obviously, you. I mean, come on. Even I wonder. Did, okay, did that effect scary as a kid? I mean, you were seven. I know, but like, come on. You got to be honest. That was a cool effect. It was cool, but it was still fucking scary. All right, fine. And so at some point we're event. And so after they capture the footage or whatnot, then we're introduced to one of the most interesting characters in all of cinema. Um, Zelda Rubenstein as Tangina Barons. Um, this woman is a fucking treasure. Do you want to, do you want to talk about her? Because I'm sure you have more to say about her than I do. I mean, honestly, there's, There's so much I I can say, but I don't know how to really say it because Tangina is just a fucking delight. And Zelda Rubenstein, I actually, what's cool is that she actually came back for uh, Poltergeist 2 and 3. Um, and actually for both those movies, she was nominated for, for Razzies. <laughs> I was like... That's fucking mean. But she's like one of the, but she's like, if you watch her performance in Poltergeist, like she's actually one of the best characters in the movie. She's awesome. I mean, like, so I'll be honest. I had to take a look at, I had to take a little bit of a look at Poltergeist 2 afterwards. And I, I'm just Poltergeist like. Poltergeist 2 actually is not half bad. I, I, I like, I like that second movie quite a bit. Um, But I, we should talk about that, I guess, at some point. But, um, but yeah, I mean. Yeah. But I mean, like, yeah, I had to take a look at it just a little bit just to kind of like, because I'm just kind of curious, like what they were going for in that movie, just to kind of, yeah, just to kind of see. But, you know, like I see her in there. She's back. She's doing her thing. But yeah, she is. She's basically the um, um, she's she's basically the Warrens wrapped up into two or wrapped up in one. Um, But she's a very entertaining. Um, Yeah, she's she's a Lorraine Warren, um, basically, but she's a. She's like a very entertaining, better Lorraine Warren, I would say, because like the way like she a, speaks a, a lot more eccentric. Yes, very much so, because she's very much like 
the way she speaks to um I actually have the full monologue she says here pulled up, but basically she's the way she explains death, she's just like, it's another plane of existence. There's only a transition to a different sphere of consciousness. Carol Ann is not like those she's with. She's with she's with a living presence in their spiritual earthbound plane. I can't do her voice. Like I don't I don't like she's got a very unique voice that i'm not like i mean i can do impressions but like i i don't know i can't do her voice like she's she's in a wheelhouse all of her own that's all i'm gonna say but like um but yeah she's very she's got a very unique presence and like the way she's basically telling the family like you've got to stay away from you got to tell her to come to the light you told her not you told us not to do that that it's like i'm not gonna lie to him it's like do it. If you want your daughter back, you're going to have to do it this way. So, I mean, yeah, uh, she's very her, much. In, or, 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 yeah, sorry to start to catch you. No, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Cause I was basically kind of like just saying, yeah, she's very much a yeah, I love, unique uh, presence. I love the little exchange she has with Craig T. Nelson, where, uh, <laughs> that's where, right, <laughs> where she's like, I'm going in. What? You never, like, what do you mean? Like, or, no, isn't it with Jobeth or Diane? She's just oh, no, like, it's uh, it. Shit, I I totally butchered that. <laughs> well, the exp- well, basically, she's saying that like, no, the dialogue oh, wait, is just yeah, like, yeah, I gotta yeah, go okay. in. Or yeah, yeah. But no, she's yeah. saying like, sh- oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. where? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> uh- <laughs> you see what I have to deal with, guys? <laughs> I'm the fun one. Oh, shut up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, so she uh, she yells at Craig T. Nelson. He yells back like a, like, you've never done this before. Or shit. No, I, but okay, I'm moving on. I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> Diane the, who the, says the it. Joke, the like, joke's dead. Well, no, the idea is basically just like she's saying that like, uh, no, she's like, I have to go in there. What are you talking about? You've never done this before. You're right. You go in. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh oh dude, that's a dude, I love by the way, I love the enthusiasm the one guy has when like, you know, he marks the tennis ball, right? And like Tan Tangina throws the ball and he's like, Son of a bitch, this is my ball. <laughs> Just the look on the, his face. You mean the love child of Richard Pryor and Billy D. Williams? Ah, I was not thinking of. I, I knew he looked. Uh, he, he he. No, he kind of looked like Ray Parker Jr. the the guy who does the theme song for Ghostbusters. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, <laughs> it's not him, but like, the, but that's what it looked. We're not. Hey, just to just to let you know right now. Um, never mind. Not gonna go there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but um, just the enthusiasm on it, and then just like, and then like. You know what's the real terror? Going back to what you're saying, like what it would, what's the real like, what's the real scary aspect is like fearing that your child isn't going to be okay. But like, so, so Diane is able to successfully pull, successfully pull Carol Ann out of the other side. But like they're kind of covering like ectoplasmum goo, I guess, or whatnot. And so you know, um, Carol Ann isn't waking up, and so like obviously, so um diane's okay but and she's woken up but like it's taking a moment for carol ann to wake up so like you know that's a scary thought is like is is is, is she is carol is your is is my child okay is she gonna wake up that sort of thing so i can definitely see 
the horror in Craig T. Nelson's like face, like trying to be like, come on, baby, please wake up, please wake up. Daddy's honestly, here. Like, okay. It's uh cause you know, Craig T. Nelson's like mostly known for, you know, for Incredibles, coach, you know, a lot of comedy mm-hmm. roles. But this movie really uh really does a good job at at letting Craig T. Nelson, you know, kind of you know, show off his his dramatic uh, uh dramatic mm-hmm. uh, acting skills and he does a really good job. Like, Although he does have my favorite line in the entire movie, but I'll get to that in a second. And uh, you know, especially that uh, that scene from earlier where he's uh he's first meeting with the uh with the parapsychologists and you just you just see in his in his eyes how he just looks so defeated, yeah, how and he's just worn out he is. is. Like uh-huh. you can tell this guy has not slept in days. Like uh, you know, the bags under his eyes and just how tired he sounds in his voice. Like he he fucking sells this father just at his wits end trying to uh, trying to find his daughter. It's mm-hmm. uh yeah, God, I cannot praise the performances enough in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I mean, but I mean, like I said, he has my favorite line in the entire movie. We'll get to that in a sec, though. But no, I mean, like the real, I, I, again, like the real, the real acting, true acting performance is, I would agree, would be from Joe Beth Williams. Um, like, so, when, you know, the climax of the movie, like they've decided they're going to move out of the house and like they're just going to leave um, the neighborhood. And by the way, the neighborhood is called Questra Verde. Um it's a nice little planned community, um, and uh, it looks like a it looks like another suburban town in uh, America, if you will. But yeah, so they're gonna move out of the house. But um, that night, where that night, um, everything's going to shit again, and so just that terrifying image of like the portals opening up again and it's sucking everything in. But like you can see, like the like the other side, like ectoplasm and stuff on the edges of the door. Um, there's that um, just like it's doing everything. And it's like the beast is doing it's That's what they call it. It's doing everything in its power to take the children back. Um, and uh, we learn later in the sequels, why it wants Carol Ann specifically, but we'll get to that another time. Um, but yeah, it's just like you, the real, the real like horror it's doing to really trying to like, keep everything like just to like it wants the children really but like one of the more one of the really cool effects i actually wanted to bring up was um so when um diane is held down on the bed and then like it's like and then like whatever force is like keeping her it starts to like um push her up into the ceiling or, or drag her across the ceiling or whatnot or all across the room um especially and eventually throw her back downstairs where it won't be able, where she won't be able to get to her kids. Like, I like that effect a lot because, from what I understand, it's like it's a classic event. It's a classic thing they did this in, especially in Inception. So, it's um, it's it's basically it's a fixed set and it's on a rotator and basically she's just being rotated around and like the camera's in a fixed position and and it gives that illusion like she's just being like. Um, dragged across but really she's just being the room is just rotating and it and like you just can't see it that it's rotating or whatnot but that's a cool i liked how they did that effect um and and by the way you know just major props to diane during this whole sequence you know because left and right you know she's 
she's getting knocked down, but she gets up again because you ain't ever going to keep her down. <laughs> I get knocked down. I get up again. You're never going to bring me down. God damn it. I love that song. By the way, folks, I think that we established um, in our review for um, we established in our review for Dirty Work that um, Tub Thumping by Tump Chumbawamba is our personal theme song for the two of us. So there you go. <laughs> God damn it. I can't believe you ran that, ran that joke. In. Just the setup for that joke was great. <laughs> it's our song. It is. It is. Wait, is that a Footloose reference you just did? No, but I just I just want the fact to set in that this this wonderful little moment will be shared with the world. <sighs> so let's get to one of the more fucked up parts of the movie. So um, obviously she's locked out. Of the, she's locked out of the room. So um, Diane runs out of the, runs out of the house. She's just wearing like a a football jersey and panties and she gets thrown in. So they're building an, and they're building a pool by the way outside. And so she's been thrown into the pool. She's all muddied up and stuff, but then she's, but then like skeletons and coffins pop up and uh, she's like mortified. So do you want the, um, uh, Jeff, you already probably know this, but for the listeners, yeah. let's talk about the real controversy behind this, because apparently those are not fake skeletons. Those were apparently real, and apparently they told Di- they told Joe Beth after the fact, and she was like, apparently not having it after that. Um, yeah, that's a really well, yeah. It's like, wait, are you telling me that I filmed probably multiple evenings in this dirty ass water with real fucking corpses? I'd I mean, be pissed. Wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, I mean. How kind of disrespectful? I mean, like, don't get me wrong. It definitely worked. They, it, they definitely. I mean, like, unfortunately, they do look terrifying. They do look terrifyingly great. But because I mean, they're fucking real. I know. So what does that ethically ethically say? I mean, it is. I guess that is a. I mean, a like, trope of uh, Toby Hooper now, wouldn't it? I guess in the style of like, just like that shock well, I mean, value like, or whatnot. Apparently, the bodies were provided from uh, a from a a medical supply. Oh my god. So I don't know if that means that you know bodies were donated to science or whatever. Um Actually, yeah, the fact you the fact you bring it up now, I kind of want to know how that conversation went down. I mean, like do you I mean, obviously the ethical questions, the moral questions, the disrespect to the um dead questions come into play like all these like ethical moral questions that i'm basically reiterating reiterating um yeah like that's i mean especially for a hollywood product big major hollywood production like this that's raises like just so many red flags and questions like how the hell did this get passed i mean like obviously they got it worked it it terrified everyone on, on set at least the cast members and like I bet you the crew knew they just were not allowed to say anything to the cast. Otherwise the cast wouldn't do it. So, I mean, that's just my assumption at least. Um, Obviously it sounds like the cast didn't know um, ahead of time, but yeah, but like, what again, if if this was just the most morbid 
fucked up practical joke ever played on on an actress it's like i don't know i still <laughs> wouldn't i still wouldn't do it because that just again morally speaking for me like that's just really disrespectful oh no i mean it wouldn't be it wouldn't be good regardless but i think it would be fucking hilarious if if that was the actual explanation for for how that for how they came to that decision to use real fucking corpses it's like hey well i mean like let's just fuck with joe beth I mean, from what I understand, the reason why they went with real skeletons is because, like, they couldn't effectively make fake skeletons look that way. So they decided, let's get some real skeletons. And, yeah, that just raises so many questions. Again, like, again, I, like, obviously, this would not fly by today's standards. But, like, obviously, but, like, this is the 80s where, like, anything can go. It's very gung-ho in Hollywood at this point. We haven't reached that point where um, everything's kind of restrictive with uh filmmaking these days but yeah filmmakers back then were a lot uh were very was filmmaking was still filmmaking back then let's just put it that way but yeah this just raises a lot of like questions of morality and ethic and ethics but yeah i'm just i don't know this just really boggles me um it definitely worked i'll say that much but yeah i i don't know sometimes i mean you're i mean some there's such a thing as method acting of course where you will really immerse yourself into the character to to really like sell the part or whatnot for the film and the role but yeah i mean like for something like this this is like a whole other level i'm again i'm not sure i would really go there but yeah that's just me in that case um i bet you those skeletons also terrified the fuck out of you when you were seven yeah yeah <laughs> All right, so then, so obviously, um, at this point, she's able to get the kids. Well, hang on, hang on. We, we overlooked something very important, which is that goddamn motherfucking clown. Oh yeah, that's right. So let's talk about. The, by the way, that clown is fucking disturbing. Um, Fuck that clown! That is, you know what? No, <laughs> like people, people are always like, oh, Pennywise is so fucking scary. No. The clown from Poltergeist is shit your pants terrifying. It is, isn't it? That's why uh, Robbie threw a Chewbacca shirt over it, so he'd rather look at... I can't do a Chewbacca for shit. And just a reminder, I was seven. Yes, he was. Imagine imagine what that scene did to a seven-year-old because i i was able to handle most of the movie decently okay but mm-hmm. every time it came to this scene i i covered my eyes it was so fucking scary well did you know that uh oliver so um oliver robbins the kid who plays um robbie did you know that um during that scene he was actually the clown was actually choking him and like Toby and Steven thought that he was like ad-libbing and really selling it. But the moment that they saw that, uh, that, uh, Oliver's face was turning purple. Steven was like, stop, 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 stop. And like, just like undid the, undid the clown or whatnot. Like, yeah, yeah that's, that's like, really, t- now, again, you want to really talk about terrifying. Like that's all, that's really terrifying when the got clown is actively trying to kill you. Yeah. What? I hope he got a fucking raise after that. Oh, I mean, like, yeah, especially after that, uh, that kid better have gotten something, a uh, good incentive out of that or whatnot. But, oh man, you're right. That clown, 
that fucking clown. That really is that uncomfortable. Isn't that like, I mean, obviously the clown didn't, the clown's not really too big of a deal in this movie, but apparently that was like the selling point or like the image they used for the remake, if I'm not mistaken, right? Was like a really, there was no fucking remake. Oh, wow. So you even, even you are like, (laughs) yeah, Halloween resurrection doesn't exist. And the remake of poltergeist doesn't exist. Apparently resurrection is at least funny. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Fair enough. So (laughs) I goddamn poltergeist fucking remake piece of shit. We're going to be talking. I want to talk about that movie at some point, too. (laughs) Speaking of, I won't be happy during that one. Spoiler alert. Well, now you know how I'll feel about Scooby-Doo, bitch. Scooby-Doo is wonderful. No, it's not. And we're moving on. Um, (laughs) How dare you disrespect Matthew Lillard? Oh, he's the only good part of a piece of shit duo movie. uh, Duo. But anyways, um, so... Now we finally get, so I want to talk about my favorite line from this movie. And so, um, obviously Craig, so earlier, um, so Craig T. Nelson, he, he's part of a real estate development company or whatnot. And, um, his company built the neighborhood and his boss, um, had said that like, you know, the reason why things are going on, like the reason he expects things are going on is because, um, so apparently they moved the cemetery right um well no it used to be like the ground this the neighborhood was built on an old cemetery and um and uh, they did move the cemetery but i guess the spirits were still rattled or whatnot and that's why things are happening but no you learned the real reason why is that apparently the boss was a dick and decided not to move decided to move the cemetery but neglected to actually move the bodies and so we now get to my favorite, the line I know the most from the movie, which is like, so by the way, everyone thinks that the line is, you move the headstones, but you didn't move the bodies. Why? Why? It's actually, the line actually goes, you son of a bitch, you moved the cemetery, but you left the bodies, didn't you? You son of a bitch, you left the bodies and you only moved the headstones. You only moved the headstones. Why? Why? <laughs> By the way, that's some real overacting from Craig T. Nelson. By the way, so I mean, what are you talking yeah, about? that's some. What are you talking about? It's perfect. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, that's some real fucked up shit. That just goes to show that, like, even corporate America sucks. Um, or um, yeah, just some you know neglectance, if you will. So then, like, they so they get the fuck so they get the fuck out of there. The whole entire family does, and like, so like at this point, like. Everyone in the neighborhood is seeing sh- seeing shit go down at the house, and the house just implodes like it teleports. A, it's sucked into a portal, and now there's just an empty lot where the house used to be. And um, I like that visual effect, by the way, of like the house being like sucked into the portal. I often wondered. So I wondered if because I was as I was watching it, I wonder if it was like some sort of optical effect where it's a, so. It's rip. So it's um, it's actually so. His boss, um, uh, Stephen's boss, is just standing there. He's just looking at the. He's actually just looking at an empty plot. But what they did is they've imposed a monitor, a miniature model of the house, and they just kind of like de- deconstruct the house and just 
they used like optical effects to just suck the house into the portal. Um, that's my guess as to how they did it. I don't know how you think they did it, but I'd be curious. Yeah, I'd be curious to think how you how you think they did it. Hmm. I would say probably uh, like a collapsible model of some kind. Uh, okay. And probably uh, probably film the actors in front of a. Or they they probably shot uh, you know all the all the extras and and the the asshole. <laughs> you know they they probably shot you know they shot them all practically and then uh, you know composited the uh, the special effects of the house and then uh, I don't know that that's honestly my uh, that's my best guess but the fact it leaves you wondering because you're so impressed by it. You know, that's that's only further praise. Well, yeah, because, again, I'm like, again, what really blows my mind away, because, like, again, I didn't find the movie super scary, probably just because I'm older and, like, I've seen some, I've probably seen some really fucked up shit since then. But, like, still, this is, like, really great quality. And, like, what really impressed me more was just the visual, like, technical achievements that this movie was able to do. Um, that's what really impressed me the most. So yeah, I was, I was wondering like how they did that effect. And I'm like, I'm sure either way, either, either explanation that you and I just gave could possibly work. But I mean, I'm definitely curious. I got to find it. I don't, I wonder if quarter digital, cause they do like, they do a lot of, they do a series on like visual effects breakdowns where they, um, it's called visual effects artists react. So I wonder if they did a breakdown for this movie. I'd be very curious to see how, if they did react to it and how they broke it down. But um, um, the ending is actually, the ending is, it's actually kind of funny because it's, because <laughs> they, they're just all defeated. They're happy to get out of there, but they're just all like defeated. The energy is drained out of them. And they just walk into a Holiday Inn Express hotel room. Door closes. Door opens again. Steven rolls the TV out of uh, the broom and then um, and then like closes the door. The TV's just there. Slowly zooms out as the credits roll and then you hear la 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 and just everyone, all these kids or whatnot. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched the credits all the way through. I was just listening to the credits. I was just listening to the music all the way through as I was like kind of looking at stuff on IMDb. But apparently if you watch, if you watch the credits all the way through at the end, you hear children laughing. And, um, I don't know if you've heard that before. So there's a theory that what it's fucking creepy. Well, there's a theory going around that I see here that fans of the film have assumed that the laughing children are those who have been released from the beast and have crossed over the threshold into the next life. Um, which makes sense. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty interesting, uh, way to look at it, I guess. But, um, but yeah, man, Poltergeist is fascinating, um, in terms of its, in terms of its technical achievements and scare factor. But what's really fucked about Poltergeist, aside from the fact that he used real skeletons in the movie is what happened afterwards. Um, yeah, there's uh, kind of no getting around that. So there's a curse. 
apparently, um, called the Poltergeist Curse. And so apparently, apparently, like, two people from the cast died. And unfortunately, it's Dominique Dunn and poor little Heather O'Rourke. So from what I, from what I understand, um, seeing, seeing what happened is that Dominique Dunn was only 22 when she died. She was actually strangled to death by her ex-boyfriend in the driveway of her West Hollywood home. And apparently she died um, a couple days later, um, having never regained consciousness. And then poor little Heather O'Rourke died from intestinal stenosis. Um, I don't I don't think I pronounced that right, but she was only 12 years old. So these two were only were extremely young. Um, Heather O'Rourke would have had a very bright future, as would have Dominique done. But yeah, man, that's that's entirely messed up. Um, I mean, the fact that it uh, that it goes beyond that, you know, two more actors associated with Poltergeist two, you know, died shortly after. One of them was already like dying of cancer at the t- was already like dying of cancer at the time, right? Yes, and uh, and then uh, Will Sampson, I believe is his name. Mm-hmm. I th- I'm pretty. I think he died of. Uh, I think he died of cancer. Also, uh, probably like less than a year after Poltergeist mm-hmm. Two came out. You said that was. Um, you said for. Uh, you said that was. Um... What was his name? Uh, Julian Beck, you said, died of um, cancer? Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, you kind of cut out a little bit there, but I just wanted to make sure. But yeah, dude, like, that's really... But I mean, obviously, it's definitely sad what happened to um, Julian and William Sampson, but to what happened to just the other, the other kids, that's kind of just the real it's, horror story. It's fucking tragic yeah i'm like what does that do to you like to what does that do to you because okay let me ask you this did did dominique die um prior to poltergeist 2 and that's why she's not in the movie she uh she died of i think four months after poltergeist came out oh fuck me god that's so that's a mind job i don't know what that i don't know what the hell that says (sighs) <sighs> yeah, I I mean obviously Toby Hooper would die um many years later um of natural causes at 74, but would you say he died of the curse too or did he just, you know? No. I mean, it's they really call it a curse just because of how uh how close it was either during production or shortly after one of the movies came out because Heather O'Rourke died at the, towards the end of filming of Poltergeist three. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Yeah. That's, that's uh God. Again, what does that, what does that say about, um, what does that say about a movie where two of its youngest stars? Like, cause apparently this was, this was Dominique's only acting credit. Am I correct? Was this movie? Or did she I, do some stuff prior? Yeah, I I think she appeared in a couple episodes of you know whatever TV shows, but yeah, I think uh, 
terms of feature feature films, this was her one and only. Damn. Damn, man. So yeah, yeah, I've seen her. She was mainly in television, but yeah, she could have definitely had a successful career as an actor. Um, had that not happened to her, but the real I mean, obviously, you know, what especially happened to poor Heather only 12 years old when that died too. And she died of like, Oh God, that was young. Yeah. Way too young. She definitely, I mean, seeing her performance in poltergeist, like you could definitely tell she had a very big, uh, life. She could have definitely like had a really big life outside of poltergeist and like, definitely like could have made something of herself back then. But yeah, only 20, only 12 years old. <sighs> yeah, that's really messed up. So I don't. <laughs> so how do you, how do you want to, how do you want to end on a movie like that? Yeah, but I mean, yeah, no. So I mean, Poltergeist is is a is a classic. It really is. It's a classic. I mean, it's definitely a horror film, but it definitely has elements of a family drama in there. Um, but yeah, it's. Definitely, it's definitely very much a classic um, st- staple in supernatural, at least in the supernatural horror genre or whatnot. Like it's like if you want to watch something for Halloween or if you want to watch a early great kind of ghost movie, Poltergeist is probably your best bet. Um, or definitely a safe bet too, and like definitely a good choice to watch for a ghost film. Um, yeah. Um, what do you have anything to add on that? Uh, not too much. Uh, all I can really say is, you know, it's it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm uh, I'm happy of how well it's held up and how how I'm able to, after all these years, still able to really get something new out of it on repeat viewings and i think uh any movie that can provoke that that kind of reaction i think is definitely doing something right and yeah it's it's a halloween staple and i can't wait to to crack open that blu-ray every october yeah well i mean i guess we're gonna i guess you know how do you, that's pretty much everything that's said about Poltergeist. I mean, I'm definitely curious to see how Poltergeist 2 ends up, at least that conversation, because apparently it really expands on kind of the lore of what they do with um, that's established in the first film. But yeah, let's... Yeah, um, honestly, I'm I'm uh, I'm really curious what, what your thoughts will be on Poltergeist 2. I'm probably going to watch it ahead of time, even but way before I review it. Oh, yeah. Um, Go for it, man. But yeah, I'll be interesting to talk about it at some point. But all right, well, folks, um, sorry to end it on a dour note. I don't know when you when you talk about the when you talk about the death of uh, deaths of two of its young prominent stars, it's kind of hard to end on a happy note, is it? But I mean, it's uh, I mean all all I really have to say is, you know, like we're you know we have fun, you know, watching horror movies and you know kind of uh just we have fun being scared but it uh you know cases like 
like with those uh those two actresses gone way too soon it's uh, nothing compared to the horrors of real life you know like that stuff like that happening that's that's the real horror movie yeah no yeah no i can't i i can't disagree with you yeah sometimes real life is more scarier than the monster that's on screen or whatnot but um yeah that's i guess that's really gonna sorry folks i wasn't expecting to be really kind of somber on that but yeah but yeah i think that's gonna do it for this one i guess in this case um follow the show at tnapcast on instagram um be sure to uh uh, like the subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, we're on pot. We're on uh, Apple and uh, Spotify. Um, yeah, uh, that's <laughs> yeah, that's all I really have to say on this front. But yeah, we'll be back with uh, horror month very soon. And uh, by the way, since Halloween Kills is coming out, uh, you probably will hear us talking about it pretty soon. Um, so expect that to be out soon as the movie drops um but yeah i guess that's really gonna do it for this installment everybody so thanks for listening as always and uh, of course this is eric this is jeff and please stay shiny everybody have a wonderful rest of your day Next level. Next level. Next level. Next level.